Welcome to St. Michael and All Angels. It's a nice Sunday in the church here. Um, here we go. Almighty and everlasting God, comfort of the sorrowful and strength of the weary. Hear our prayers, we pray. Come to our aid in any trouble. Bless us with your presence. Send your angels to watch over us and protect us. And together with them, let us rejoice in the mercy that has been shown us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, good to see you. Uh, we got lots of things cooking this morning, so it's a feast day. Thanks for that. I want to say thanks to um, Philip and Peter for arranging the special music this morning from the Wheaton College kids. They're fantastic, and their, their director, we're always glad when they can come along. It just makes the day nicer and brighter. So it was a good day. Some of the pieces are really remarkable that are sung this morning, so enjoy it if you haven't been there yet. If you want to go to Italy, I finally had the brochures. Let me know. Uh, there's new lights at the top of the Sistine Chapel. So it means your previous trip to Italy doesn't really count. You didn't really see it. So you probably need to go again because, you know, what you saw pff, wasn't even it. So, uh, you know, if you want to go, let me know. We'll, um, I'll, buy you, I'll buy you a nice glass of Italian red somewhere near. And we'll talk, we'll talk big Jesus talk, okay, with big Jesus thoughts. Uh, let's see. There's this. And we need to give money to somebody. The LWML would be nice people to give money to, right? So um, if you throw money in there, who's, who can take money from the LWML? There must be somebody who can do that. Look at you, Jan. Way to volunteer. As a former mayor, when the money's out, she raised her hand to say, hey, we can spend that. That's no trouble. We can take care of that. So thank you very much for doing that. Uh, and if you don't have a mite box, grab one and be generous. You know, It's always nice when people make things easier for you. So you don't even have to worry about where to spend your money. And the the... Uh, LWML folks, they send it to really kind of remarkable, remarkable places. So, you know, places that it's hard for us to get access to or make it work. So that's kind of fun, too. Okay. So, um, here's your, here, okay, so here's the assignment. You can percolate as we go, okay? So, uh, the, I mean, this will be the progressive assignment if it works. Um, tell the Zakia story in seven words or less. And then it'll be tell the Zacchaeus story in five words or less. And then it'll be, you know, tell the Zacchaeus story in three words or less. He went there. He climbed the tree. How many? One, two. He climbed the tree. Which one are you going for? Seven. Is uh, not much left. And met Jesus. And met Jesus. Look at you, man. You not only can count, you're pretty clever. <laughs> Speaking of which, Darkball is recruiting, are they not? Anybody. We need, we need clever guys who can count, I would say. We like guys who can count big, right? Yeah, we'd like, we like, if you can, you've got to be able to hit the white. You've got to hit the white. Is that the trouble this year? I'm trouble hitting the white? All right, good. That's your trouble. All right. Well, if you can, you've got to be good enough to hit the white. You also have to be able to take a fair amount of verbal abuse. Yes, you do. Yeah. Which you know is the mark of the church. So, okay, here we go. All right. So as you're starting to think about it, let's just read one. Did you, did you pick one of these up? Um, just pick up the one that's Philip's translation, okay? So, you know, these aren't great for teaching because they're too, in some ways, too casual and they don't get, like, for instance, that word, that Hebrew word, noam, in the Old Testament, which is the word for beauty, which is, that's the thing that happens when the fire hits the altar. That's beauty in the Old Testament. Now, you wouldn't normally get that picked up from a, from a more casual translation. I'll just call it that way. On the other hand, you get some, you get some color to the story. So, um, Jesus went into Jericho and he was making his way through it. So that's kind of an important thing. He's like blitzing through. Or maybe I'll go without commentary. That would be better. And here we find a wealthy man called Zacchaeus, a chief collector of taxes, wanting to see what sort of person Jesus was. 
but the crowd prevented him from doing so, for he was very short. So he ran ahead, up into a sycamore tree, to get a view of Jesus as he was heading that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and saw the man and said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. I must be your guest today. So Zacchaeus hurriedly climbed down and gladly welcomed him, but the bystanders muttered their disapproval, saying, now he is going to stay with a real sinner. Right? As opposed to, I guess, fake sinners or imposter sinners, <laughs> small sinners, you know. There's not, uh, whatever you are, be a good one, right? Eleanor Roosevelt. Uh, but Zacchaeus himself stopped and said to the Lord, Look, sir, I'll give up half my property to the poor. And if I've swindled anybody out of anything, it's not how people normally talk about themselves. And you know, remember that time I was a swindler? Okay, so I will pay him back four times as much. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to this house today. Right? Right here. Zacchaeus is a descendant of Abraham. And it was the loss the Son of Man came to seek and to save. Okay, just sort of percolate that. It's a very pleasant, it's a very pleasant uh, rendition of the story for a bunch of reasons. Okay, so while that percolates and you're trying to do seven, five, and three, you know, just kind of think about where we've been. Um, you and I are very fortunate. We're extraordinarily fortunate. We're in a wonderful place. I mean, this morning, it was just, you know, it was like, that was a very thorough blessing, the first service. And it's interesting how easily it seems to come to us. You know it doesn't come easily, but it, 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 it seems to come easily. And so when that happens, when everything is ordered, when the music is on cue, when it's beautiful, when everything works, when we can, you know, we added two kids this morning, and they did fantastically. And, it, you know, just say a nice word to those kids, and there are more kids coming behind. You know, say a nice thing to them about their service at the altar. They were very excited and very happy to be there, and the adults who worked with them did a good job. And, you know, just, you know, we're in this very, very um, kind of happy place, and we understand that to be a gift. Like every aspect of life, great things are very hard to build and very easy to ruin. You all, you all know this. In every aspect of life, great things are very, very difficult to build. They can, they can be built over a lifetime. They can be lost in a second, Right? And so, um, you know, we're very, at a very fortunate place, and as long, you know, I tried to say in the first couple of weeks, as long as we keep Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith, as Hebrews says, as long as we keep him as the start and the finish, and, you know, God is given um, praise for all that he does among us, things are going to be great. And we do that by tending the disciplines. And so regularly we've talked about Christ's scripture prayer, the liturgy, um, being really generous, tend your giving, by the way, I haven't said that to you for a while, I haven't need to send it to you, said to you for a while, but just kind of all tend your giving, pay attention to that, please. Um, being really merciful, so the LWML, Christmas sharing, it's Christmas sharing month already, so this is an interesting month because it's kind of fun, you get to buy toys for kids, I think toys is the first thing out of the box, which is always fun. So start to buy for Christmas sharing now, bring your stuff up, there's already a room that's filling, it's probably, the floor space is probably halfway full, a big room like this downstairs is already probably halfway full on the floor. That's kind of cool. So, and, then, and then the thing that we're at now is being very winsome when you talk to people about Jesus. I want to um, just say just a little bit of an aside. I have, and, and I'm often criticized for, especially by Lutherans who come from outside, for talking too much about sanctification. Um, I, I understand the caution. For example, I don't know, do any of you know Tony Campola? Does that name ring a bell? Some of you who are evangelical types think it. That's a pretty remarkable guy. Um, he was a very, in some sense, conservative pastor, but a very liberal politician, very liberal po- politically, and also really given to a lot of service. He's kind of, a, kind of a famous guy, especially if you move east or if you're in evangelical circles, because he basically, 
he did what he said, and people respected that, and he did it with great dignity. Um, but it was interesting, I saw a little news blurb that his son, who had followed him uh, into the ministry, is now, went quiet for a while, and now is the campus pastor at USC for the Humanist Association. Very interesting, right? So that basically means he's rejected the notion of God in some sense, certainly the notion of atonement, and, and traded one thing for another, which is this notion that we start with the notion that people are very, very horrible but can be redeemed. So we kneel and we say, poor, miserable sinner. However, you know, if you have a good humanist, and I have a, you know, some really good secular humanist friends, they're really good people, they're fine, fine people, you know, civically they're fine people, honest and trustworthy. They're very optimistic about human beings. The basic difference between the church and being a good humanist is the church says we can't fix ourselves and humanists say we can. So the church says we need God and humanists say we don't. Um, I don't want to be mistaken for having in any way moved the cross out of the center of everything that we do. The thing is, you coach the team you've got, not the team you want. And the team I've got here and have had for 17 years are Lutherans who are pretty sharp about matters of atonement and justification, right? Um, there, I mean, there's always more for all of us to learn, but that, that's, not, that's not the thing that needed to be cleaned up. What most needed to be cleaned up is our action in the world. You know, living personally as Christians, everything from not gossiping to being generous to the poor to pick the next thing you want to do. Tithing, you know, giving alms. And now we're at the point of giving a good witness. So I will confess to you that I've spent most of my time here trying to get um, you Lutheran types to uh, do Jesus types of things. Why is that? Because, you know, that's where Lutherans traditionally are a bit weak. Not always. Remember about 15 years ago, the largest, largest charity in America was Lutheran Social Services, bigger than the Red Cross, bigger than the Kansas Society. Slipped a little bit because of the way government programming is changed and is counted, um, and some things had to be given up. But what you, what you tended to have is you had these Lutherans who were all in, doing a huge amount, of the, but not, not sort of, you didn't have this sort of base of lots of people doing it. And so, you know, we're at the point where we have lots of people doing it. So I'll say to you two things. If, you're not, if you haven't caught on to that yet, it always stuns me a little bit when I, I don't check giving much, but I do occasionally. It always stuns me when I bump against somebody who has been here for five or ten years and doesn't give any money. I'm always like, what's the, I'm beyond like, hey, I need money to pay the light bill. That's not the question. The question is, what, what hasn't clicked in that particular life? You know, it's always an interesting thing to me. Um, but, you know, everything from that to people who do remarkable, remarkable kinds of things. Christmas sharing is a miracle on earth. You know, what will happen over the course of that ten weeks is just kind of a, you can't, it's indescribable what will happen. But the point is, you know, your life is meant to be like Christmas sharing all the time. You know, with periods of, you know, go and rest, go and rest, but that's what it's meant to be. Okay, part of the issue then is drawing people into the church because here's the, here's the key. And you heard it in the gospel again this morning. Jesus says it almost every week. Almost every week Jesus says, I want all my children home again in Eden, right? So part of the story that we didn't really pick up but we picked up in the past is the disciples really think that the church is their own institution to do with what they want and to advance themselves. Sound familiar, right? Okay. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, the church is about poor people, about little people, about little kids which is why, of course, we need to have little kids at the altar because the church is about little kids. To them belong the kingdom of heaven. So, I mean, that's what we're, we're up against. Now, the good thing is, is you've been well prepared for all that. You have at least, if you're 
practice, and nobody's practice is. I too, you know, have times when my prayers go go dry, or you know, where I wonder about different things. Everybody has that. That's not the point. The point is, what we're all trying to do is kick these things into gear, kind of at the same time. And if we all work at it, then most things will be covered. Okay. So it's very, very important. But one of the things, kind of the last thing to do, which is the great challenge, especially for Lutherans, is to talk about the little baby Jesus. Now, it's not that it's not that hard. The reason it's hard is because we got it so wrong in so many years when people were left out and basically, if you didn't look just like us, we'll take a few minutes to scream at you and then if you want to come around, okay, but if not, we'll shake the dust off our feet, okay? Let me just say that is not the way that Jesus worked because you know what? Jesus was passing through town, going somewhere else and all of a sudden, guess what? He's stopping at the house of a real sinner, right? So apparently Jesus likes real sinners, real big sinners. Apparently that's the people Jesus likes. So if you're going to live in the image of Jesus, of course, the kind of people you're going to like are real big sinners. Now, he doesn't just sort of let them keep sinning, but he also doesn't get too mad when they slip up because they are, by nature, real big sinners. Okay? So I think that there needs to be a rethinking of all the stories, especially in regard to whom Jesus loves and whom Jesus cares for. Because here's the deal. Jesus is much more open than you and I are. Right? Jesus is much more forgiving. And believe me, you don't have to protect him. You don't have to protect his honor or his choices. He's going to do just fine all by himself. Because Jesus starts with the notion that everybody in is nobody's out. So you, and Jesus doesn't have any enemies. So you can't have any enemies. So, you know, um, people get all riled up about all different things and political stuff and how about this and skewer this guy, get ahead of this guy and let's get some votes and here we go. And those people don't belong and blah, 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 blah. But none of that is the church. Because the first thing you realize is that Jesus likes real sinners. There, that's four words. Right? So if you've got any friends who are real sinners, <coughs> this is a great story. Because Jesus likes real sinners. And frankly, talking about Jesus is that easy. Now, in doing this, I'm not trying to put a lot of pressure on you that you know, every time you have a cup of Starbucks with somebody, you know, that turns to you know, giving your life to Jesus. Because frankly, that's completely upside down. I can't, there aren't very many people. Jesus has very few places where he actually says to people, hey, can you give your life to Jesus? In fact, he only does that, I think, when people say to him, I want to give my life to Jesus. And then Jesus kind of says, uh, like the man who comes and says, you know, I've done all these things and I'd like to be disciple number 13. And then Jesus says, fantastic, sell your stuff at a garage sale and let's go, right? And then the guy's like, oof, I don't like garage sales that much. But, I mean, the story works something like that, okay? I mean, it's it about like that. I don't know. Like, to me, a garage sale is like having your annual physical on your front yard, but that's a whole different story, okay? I mean, I mean, if the eye is the window to the soul, so is a garage sale, okay? That's, you just can learn a lot about people, you know? You just can learn a lot about people by you know, going to their garage sale. Anyway, so um, I'm just trying to make sure that the Jesus that we share with people is actually the Jesus that's in the text, the Jesus that walked around and was born in Mary, because a lot of times he looks much more like us than we look like him. Okay, so that's, that's all we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to have this life together, and we're trying to make sure that everybody's in and nobody's out, and we're not trying to do it by force. Jesus does not work by force. One of the most interesting things. It's a great... Um, you got the little quote that kind of reminded me, a little quote from the Syrians this morning, um, who see ISIS as the, as the planned attack of eliminating Christianity in the Middle East. So here's the thing. 
I got an email this week. I don't know if this is true, but I presume it to be true. But it said, um, for the first time in 2,000 years, the Eucharist wasn't celebrated this morning in Mosul. Well, that's kind of interesting, okay? When we were in the Holy Land on our trip, uh, we had a Palestinian Christian guide from Bethlehem. And I made the same mistake that everybody else made, but it was funny when it happened to other people. Because I said to him, as other people then did, I said to him, you know, how long has your family been Christian? And without missing a beat, he said, yeah, from the beginning. He's from Bethlehem. So his family has been Christian from the time the shepherds were there. That's his answer. How long, have you been, how long has your family been Christian? From the beginning. The Chaldeans, I mean, they think of themselves, these people have been driven out now largely of Syria. It's hard to know if there's any left. And between the human cost and the cultural cost, you can imagine that they didn't leave with books, with icons. They certainly couldn't take these places with them that have been built up over hundreds and thousands of years. It's a remarkable desecration in so many, many ways. Um, you know, for the first time in 2,000 years, no Eucharist was celebrated there on the Sabbath. It's a remarkable, that's a remarkable change of course. So, you know, um, life is a strange thing. But the reflection in the, in the guy today who said basically, and this has been, this has been a real, a real um, thing among Christians in the Middle East about whether they, allow themselves, whether they fight, whether they flee, or whether they allow themselves to be martyred. And that for 2,000 years has been, Christians have chosen in all different ways. You know, the fam- I'm trying to forget the guy, they were burning at the stake. You know, he's like, turn me over, this side is done. I'm trying to remember who that is. You should know who that is, Vic. You were the last one to seminary. It was? It was it St. Lawrence? Burned him at the stake? Anybody from Frankenmuth should know that. Right? Was it St. Lawrence? Is that right? Yeah. First, first, one of the first deacons, of course, in the church, St. Lawrence. So, you know, and then also you have Christian militias, you know, Lebanon, for example. Um, so it's a very difficult choice about figuring out what to do. Anyway, the point is, Jesus himself, when it comes to the church, doesn't work by force. So what's really important is for you to be able to um, tell a story or two, right? It's extraordinarily important for you to know the stories and then um, to be able to tell the stories. If you've got an outline in front of you, um, just spin to eight. I am going to get you to the end of the story. So anybody want to venture in? Seven words or less? What's the Zacchaeus story about? Seven words is really too many. Seven is really not a challenge for people like you. I mean, you know, Wayne Scheidt was thinking about dartball, and he came up with that off the, t- off the side. I mean, that was just something he pulled out of his pocket, right? I mean, if you'd have worked at it a little bit, it would have come to five. When you answer your wife, do you answer in five words or less? Oh, never mind. Don't talk to me about that. That's another. Get that kind of stuff out public. I don't know. My wife is away with a thousand people she doesn't know. It's like a dream come true. I'm like, she sent me a picture. She said, here's a guy in a beer tent toasting, toasting your birthday. I'm like, who is that guy? And you don't even know who that is. But, uh, you know, everybody sees the world in a different, different way, don't they? So, now, uh, a couple of warnings. So just at the seven point, which is, you can't make the story up as you go along. But you can think about it. You can imagine what it was like, which is often what happens in these, in these other talks. You can imagine. You can't make it up as you go along. There's really important things that need to be said. And if you've opened up a Bible to Luke 19, you know, Luke, I've, I've sort of given you kind of what you have to say about the story. You can't, you can't not say this. If you're going to engage a story, you need to say that Jericho was, you know, 
uh, um, problematic. It's on the border. And there's trouble in the crowd. It's down by the folks who are playing around with the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? It's out near the wilderness. Um, it's a troublesome place. You remember that the story of the Good Samaritan is told about going down to Jericho, up to Jerusalem. So, you know, that's a troublesome place. And Jesus, you know, different than us, we're so goal-directed, like, especially, you know, this is a hard thing for type A's, double A's and double A pluses, you know. We got someplace we got to go, we got to get there, you know. Jesus apparently is not a type A, or at least not in this particular case, because if Jesus sees something important, Jesus stops there. Maybe Jesus is a type A in a different way. Maybe, maybe like, whether he gets there today or tomorrow isn't the big deal. Maybe welcoming sinners into the kingdom, maybe that's the big deal. So, you know, um, one of the great things, you know, there's not a, pl- a lot of places I quote Calvin, but one place where I really loved him, he said, what is it that never changes in God? Everything changes in God, but what doesn't change in God? That God is always trying to figure out a way to bring you home. When you see other people, that would be a great thing to think about. Jesus certainly thinks that. What Jesus is trying to do is figure out how to bring Zacchaeus home. It's not, uh, it's not, it doesn't, it's not a trick, right? It doesn't have to be, I don't wanna, I'm trying to think of a way to say it. It's not that it's not spectacular, it is spectacular. It's a flippant miracle. Anytime anybody comes to church, you know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that you're all here today. This is against the odds. But it doesn't have to be something um, that is beyond your ken. So Jesus is passing through. He sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is a trouble. Man, that, that guy, is a, well, he is messed up, right? So he's a traitor collects taxes, takes money from his people, the Jews, gives money to the, to the Romans. Um, so everybody hates him. He's small, can't really defend himself. The, uh, you know, the crowds are always filled with um, the zealots who have the specialty of killing people in crowds. You know? So part of the reason he's not in the crowd is not just because he's not short, it's not safe. Now, if you ever, I don't know if you've ever been in a crowd like that where you couldn't move, where you get pushed out. A time or two I've been in crowds where you, know, you'd, like, you have to go, you actually have no room if you don't go with where the crowd goes, you'll be dead. Well, I mean, if he gets himself in a crowd like that, there's no way to escape. I mean, they will kill him. So, but Jesus, and this is the fun thing, wants to see who Jesus is. This is the great opening of the postmodern world. A lot of Christians, Lutherans, um, don't like the postmodern world. I'll just say two things about it. One is, there's nothing you can do about it. It's here. And two is, you might as well embrace it, because it's got some cool things, and it's better than the modern world. The modern world, which is basically the last three centuries, so it's, you know, I don't know, it's from Les Mis until the Berlin Wall. It's from, you know, it's, it's the Enlightenment, where basically our problems were our problems and we don't need God, we'll think our way out. Guess what? 20th century was a disaster, and the 21st century is not starting off very well. Between pollution, nuclear arms, genocide, more Christians killed in the last century than all the centuries before, the world is a horrible, horrible place. I mean, it's just, it's a brutal place. It's brutal, right? So we didn't solve anything over the last 300 years. We did learn some things, and we got better at some things, but we didn't solve the critical things. So now in this new age, people are open again to mystery and miracle. As long as that doesn't go to superstition, we're going to be okay. And what has to happen now is we need to get our oar in the water with the things we do good, which is the care of the soul. At exactly the point where people say, I have a soul that needs to be cared for. It's just so interesting. I go to, you know, when I visit my kids at college, 20 years ago, 
30 years ago. I was like, when I, my vicarage, I was like, I was sent to my vicarage to do campus ministry at Northwestern. It was very, very interesting because kids were, you know, however long ago that was, 30 years ago, very off-put. Now when I meet my, my kids' friends, so I have kids third year in college, when I meet their friends, they think it's cool that I'm a pastor. It's like I hardly know what to do. I mean, I start giggling and you blush and, you know. But what I normally say to them is, is within five minutes, they'll start asking me questions about the heart. It's so interesting. Because they, and if I say to them, they say, what do you do? If I say, I care for souls, that's like immediately, I care for souls, four words. Immediately there's contact. Because they all have yearnings that can't be explained physically or mentally. That this generation has, has, has learned that they have a soul again. The possibilities for you are endless. And for me too. The thing is though, if you, if you, use, if you use a method that either tries to argue people into it, okay, you beat them down, therefore they'll come to church, or you scare the hell out of them, you're going straight to hell if you don't mend your ways, so you force them to come to church as fire insurance, that's not a win, because that's not what Jesus does. We do that, Jesus has a party, right? Jesus loves everybody, even Zacchaeus, right? He doesn't make Zacchaeus a project. He just says, hey, I'm gonna, let's have dinner, okay? Now, you might think, you know, this is a great reason why you should come to Oktoberfest. I'm, and I'm dead serious on Saturday and bring your friends. And by the way, bring whatever you're drinking, okay? So, um, <laughs> because we don't, because, I mean, basically because we don't want to be on the hook to buy a lot of alcohol for a lot of people. So, you know, or, or whatever, or if you don't drink, to, so bring what you're drinking, the food will be here. It should be fantastic. How many people are we planning for? Okay, good. So, if you're 251, you're going to get a burger, from McDonald's, from the dollar menu, but we will provide. So the Lord will provide in some ways, okay? So two years in a row, we've run out of stuff, right? Because it's been fun. Don't let that dissuade you. We just, you know, bring your friends. We don't have enough beer. Okay, there you go. I didn't say that because I'm a pastor. But apparently, we always have enough beer, okay? So, so, and there will be a couple of microbrewers. So come and have some fun. Now, why is that? Why is there a 20s, 30-something? Why is there men's and women's retreats off-site where you rest, where you eat? where you drink. Why is there an Oktoberfest? Why are there steak fries? Why, 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 why? Because as Jesus knew, why is the Eucharist a meal? Because when you have dinner with somebody, everything loosens up. It is, if it's true that the history of the world can be written from what's on a plate, right? If that's true, then the reason Jesus sits down for Zacchaeus becomes completely clear, and the reason for the Eucharist becomes completely clear. Because it is, in fact, if you share a meal with somebody, you're actually telling them they're okay, right? If you share food with people, you're actually saying, you're fine. I want to stick around with you. So there's a reason the soft entry points to St. John are meal-oriented. Because it's not that difficult to bring somebody and say, you know, why don't you come up and you know, come to steak fry? It's not that hard. So that gives you then this possibility. All right, so I'm flipping the page. I actually am doing what's here. I'm kind of halfway down. Now, interesting how Jesus engages sinners. I'm halfway down through every page. This is like third to last page. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing, how, how we were taught to engage sinners, right? I mean, we size up a guy. Well, the shites don't have any sins. I should move to a different table. <laughs> no, I mean, you size somebody up, right? You, si- you size them up, and then you, you, you sort of let them know, like, you know, you size up, you know, what's wrong here, and then you sort of let them know, because after all, you know more than they do, and they can't see themselves, so you're very willing to point out deficiencies, right? 
It's very interesting that Jesus doesn't do any of that. In fact, Jesus is so loving in some sense to a man who's outside. So here's my three words. Jesus loves outsiders. Or Jesus loves anybody. Jesus is so, so kind. He is so kind to Zacchaeus that Zacchaeus feels safe to say, I'm a swindler. I don't know if you knew that. Jesus, in fact, knew that. And every once in a while, people will say to you, you know, I'm, uh, I don't know if you knew that. Now, you have to, this is like when you hear a confession for the first time. Vic is a new pastor. Here's your aphorism for the day. So the first time you hear a confession, you know, so classic confession is the person looks toward the altar. You're at their ear because you're talking scripture to them. It's not about you. But if they confess and you turn to them like this and say, you've got to be kidding that is a failure, okay? I'm just, I'm just letting you know, okay? I mean, yeah, that's not, that's not helpful in any situation, okay? And you'll notice that Jesus does it. I mean, they're sitting at the table, and Zacchaeus kind of leans in and says, yeah, I'm a swindler, watch this, okay? Now, you have to see all the things that are happening here. So Jesus, you know what's really interesting? We've returned to my cultural comment for the day. We've returned to almost a pre-modern world with our technology in this sense, that we are tribal and that we are a shame and honor culture. We've completely returned to it. So what's happened with technology? What's happened is, is you're no longer my tribe because proximity, distance, is no longer measured in miles. It's measured in seconds. And it's no longer accessed by distance like this, it's accessed by distance like this, right? So my new tribe is whoever I want my tribe to be. Maybe you're in, maybe you're not. Maybe I friend you, maybe I don't, right? The other thing is, and what's been great, what's been great theologically is, you know, how do you, you know, one thing is, is and this was great, I mean, the optimism of people that if you had anonymous internet possibility, people would be able to free their minds and that would advance the cause of humanity because they would write all that was good and right and true within them. Right. You, all you need is one troll and you're, that, that is completely destroyed. So part of the internet is that people are as horrible as they can possibly, possibly be. They feel free to expose the great darkness of their souls, right? Now the interesting thing is, is how do, how do people... How do people deal with people on the internet like that? So how do, how, how, how do people who are horrible, people who are extortionists, people who lie, people who do... How, how does the internet deal with them? How? Unface them. Say it again? Unface them. Yeah, you unface them. And so, and so the, the guy from um, Mozilla, one of the co-founders of Mozilla, right, of Firefox, you know, it was discovered that he got an advancement to be the CEO and it was discovered that 10 years ago he donated to the proposition in California against gay marriage. I'm not making a comment on that. I'm just simply saying he then was forced to resign. Like, he's the co-founder. He has to resign 10 days later because he shamed, right, which is how the Internet's work, public shaming. You shame people until they curl up and go away, right? That's who we are as human beings. One of the great things, I mean, YouTube is the greatest possible proof for original sin. 
the stuff that people do and record themselves doing it and post it for others, believe me, if I was teaching confirmation right now, I'd just have them click on YouTube for a couple of times and then I'd give them the Eucharist as a, as a consolation. Because that's, I mean, all you need to do is watch how horrible people are to each other. Okay, now Jesus is very, so I'm just telling you, if you're that horrible to people when you bump into sinners, so example, if you think I'm better than you, I'm, I'm more beautiful than you, I'm more powerful than you, I'm in the church, you're out of the church, the church has been doing that. It's a, I, I, I get that it's a difficult dance. You know, I, I get that the church doesn't want, to, doesn't want to countenance bad behavior. On the other hand, look at yourselves, look at me, you know, we have nothing to commend ourselves. And we're here by the grace of God. If we believe we're here by the grace of God, we act like Jesus. If we don't believe we're here by the grace of God, then we, then we are always working by force or always working by shame. Jesus does neither. He actually says to Zacchaeus, hey, I really love you. I'll come home and be with you. Let's just, let's just read the other story so you're not listening to me all the time. Take the one from Eugene Peterson, famous guy, great pastor, academic, um, retired now, older guy. And he, the message, you know, is this, his translation, general translation. Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. This is a remarkable thing. Now, you have to even remember this about where Jews go and how you walk and polluted places and clean places. Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus. It's interesting that the guy actually has a name. He was the head tax man and quite rich. That probably tells you all you need to know. He wanted desperately to see Jesus. Kind of, I mean, now the, the disciples, you remember, wanted the same thing. You remember John's Gospel at the beginning? They come, what do you want? Sir, we would see Jesus. One of the old men in my first, an old pastor man from another congregation at my ordination slipped into my hand a little brass plate to put on the pulpit that said, he just said, I mean, it's like old men do who are good old men. And he just, he sort of slipped it in my hand. He said, just put this on the pulpit. Is this says, sir, I would see Jesus. Right? It's no different here. I mean, every person you run into, what do they want to do? They want to see Jesus. Why? Because they're in pain. Now, some people don't. You know, some people are pretty optimistic about fixing themselves, but that's a different story. But for people who are desperate to see Jesus, this is how you treat them. The crowd was in his way. There was always something in the way. He was a short man. He couldn't see over the crowd. He ran ahead. He climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. This desperate desire to see who Jesus is. What is Jesus composed of? One of the remarkable things to watch, frankly, has been the demeanor of these people as, as they've been beheaded in the Middle East. Sort of the courage, especially the first man who is a strong practicing Catholic, the courage displayed by people who knew that they were going to die. Those people know they're going to die. And there's a posture in them. You look, it comes up on the news almost every day. It was on again this morning for coffee as I was getting ready to come this morning. They just troop the next guy and the next guy. One of the things that works against what's, what's being done there, one of the things, see, evil always overplays its hand. It's so interesting. Just let's like Satan in the, in, the, in the text for today, in the epistle. Evil always overplays its hand. Evil always thinks it can get more done than it can get done. One of the interesting things is, when people suffer evil but don't capitulate. It's so interesting to see people stand tall at the point somebody cuts their head off. It's a remarkable, remarkable display of many, many things, of Christian courage, of confidence. I even thought about a little bit about the guardian angels this week. You know, there, you have, 
I think about Foley's guardian angel being there and also the demonic certainly cloaking the entire situation. And what's interesting is, like, like at the cross, you see, this is what makes a martyr, this is what makes the cross. Like at the cross, there's always that split second where evil thinks it's one, and then there's always the seconds after where evil is undone, right? So evil always is a, short, a short-lived victory. Remarkable stuff. So Jesus, you know, comes here. This man's desperate to see Jesus. What'll happen? You know, what will Jesus do to him? Jesus got to the tree. He looked up Zacchaeus. Hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Look how Jesus takes control of it. All the great, all the great verbs of salvation are passive. Jesus says, today is my day to come to your house. I'm coming to your house. Jesus takes control. Jesus gives himself to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't give himself to Jesus. Jesus believes in Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't believe in Jesus. You know, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus doesn't go. I mean, Jesus is at work. Today is my day to be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, as a theological phrase, delighted to take Jesus home with him, right? And I just, I just want when people want to do, are they delighted to take Jesus home with them, right? See, and that, that would be the key right there. That when you tell people this story, they'd say, you'd be delighted, I'd, I'd be delighted to take Jesus home with me. So when you tell this story, I mean, who is this story for? This is, story, this is a story for people who are broken. This is, a, this is a story for people who have maybe a public sin. It could be for private sin, but often a public sin. This is a story for people who know that they have a soul, and they're accomplished in every other way. He was rich, he was powerful, he was protected. Right? He could do anything he wanted, really, because the tax collector had Roman soldiers beside him. Do anything he wanted. And yet, what does he do? He's so, he's so unsettled in himself that he's willing to climb a tree, which old men don't run, old men don't climb trees. These are basic rules for old men in the Middle East at the time of Jesus. To do that is to shame yourself. So he shames himself by running. He shames himself by climbing a tree. He shames himself by being a thief. He shames himself by being confessing. You know, you know people filled with shame. You know people have done horrible things. And the easy thing for you to say is, Jesus loves people like this. Jesus loves the distressed. Jesus loves the sinner. The church, whatever the church does, has to mimic that. If you come to people despite whatever your initial reaction might be to them. I mean, you may not like the way somebody is tattooed or pierced or oriented or what they're doing for... You may not like that. You may have a visceral reaction to that. Here's the deal. Jesus' visceral reaction is to sit down and have lunch with them, right? So maybe just the first step is just to go Scott Hare and fight the powers that be. The revolution will not be televised for you or 60, 60's children, okay? I mean, what you have to do is find things inside you that are horrible, and you have, to, you have to destroy them. So the first act of being a good witness is being kind, and that starts with destroying in you the things that are unkind. Isn't it interesting that the first thing for others is in you? You need to erase that and be welcoming to people who your initial reaction is, aren't as beautiful as you, aren't as wonderful as you, aren't as powerful as you, aren't as moneyed as you. When you do that, it happens automatically. 
Because what happens then is divine love works through you and people who have never, ever been loved. Zacchaeus has never, ever been loved. People who have never, ever been loved finally find a place where people love them. Yes, unlike Jesus, you and I are going to make mistakes. Occasionally it will flare up in all of us, me too. It's going to flare up in us. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to get it wrong. At the point where we get it wrong, then we need to get it right, as opposed to institutionalizing getting it wrong. I just, I just think if, you know, if the church would take you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years off of being unkind to people, I mean, there was just a, there was just a and, and the Catholics have got this message right now better than almost anybody. There was just a, so many stories to tell you and I'm out of time. I'm moderating a, or giving a paper tomorrow or Thursday, Monday, Monday, tomorrow for like some pastors. It's by, it's over, it's internet. It's Skyped, you know, to people in Europe and there's like a dozen, it's a study group. And, you know, partly what I'm going to argue is, is that if you ask people what the church is like, most people's reaction is that the church is judgmental. That's very much like being at a funeral. At a funeral, you don't have to preach much law because the law is lying there in the casket, right? If the church is already perceived, if steeples and collars are already perceived as judgmental, if you're perceived as judgmental, lay off the gas, right? Because what you really need is this demeanor of Jesus. What the church needs to recall is this demeanor of Jesus, that Jesus loves outsiders, that Jesus loves sinners, that Jesus engages people without a hint. He knows Zacchaeus is a cheat. Zacchaeus knows he's a cheat. So, and, and what we're always so concerned about is that we can straighten it out. Guess what? You know what straightens it out? Loving people who know that about themselves. That's what straightens you out. That's what straightens me out. If we didn't, and it's hard because it's in the church and it's in me and it's in you, our ability to judge people, to measure people up, if the church loses that and can just talk about people's souls, just talk about people's sins, just say, Jesus loves you and Jesus forgives you and he forgives me too and we're all in it together. We were all outsiders once, right? That's the story. We were all outsiders. Jesus loves outsiders. Jesus accepts those who seek him. Jesus is really interested in you. Jesus doesn't judge you, right? Then um, you'll have trouble, you'll have to buy more pews because uh, it's, such a, it's such a rare occurrence that this will happen. Jesus got up the tree, he looked, Zacchaeus hurried down. Today is my day to be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus couldn't believe his good luck. He was delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everybody saw the incident was indignant and grumped, right? What business does he have getting cozy with a crook? Boom. Zacchaeus stood there a little stunned, which is actually how people will take you maybe if you just love them. He stammered apologetically, I gave away halfway income to the poor. Those are people he hasn't hurt. And if I cheated anybody, I'll give them four times the damages. Those are people he has hurt. And Jesus says, that's what salvation looks like. Hey, that was fun. Let's do it again. Here he is, son of Abraham. Son of man came to find, first thing, and to restore justification and sanctification, the lost. Um, okay, enough on that. Next week, uh, you all have relatives who say what they say to me, which is, I say, why don't you come to church with me? And they say, if I came to church, the building would fall. That's the story we'll do next week. There's actually a Jesus story for that. <laughs> Where your relatives came to church and the, and, the, and the roof fell in. All right, love you. Here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Um, hurry in to hear the choir. they got a brilliant first piece that will start in about six minutes. Love you. See you next week.